0: Welcome to the Future of podcast, the show about what our everyday activities could look like in say 10, 20 or 50 years and and how we should prepare for these changes today. I'm Trevor Paul, Michigan's Chief Mobility Officer. And on today's show, we'll be looking at the future of airports and air travel. This is really cool. I, I love that we're talking about this topic. Usually in Michigan and Detroit, we're talking about cars, but today we are talking about what's going on in the air. And you know, it's honestly, it's pretty incredible to see the, how the airline industry went from an 80 to 90% drop in ticket sales in March and April of last year and full social distancing precautions and leaving those middle seats empty to, to where the industry's at today. And if you travel lately, the experience is, is relatively normal with the exception of, of masks on at all times. But the truth is the future of air travel is expected to be anything but normal. Uh, you know, COVID-19 has permanently changed airports and travel in much the same way and maybe even more um, that September 11th did. And and so, you know, you have the current events that are happening all around us, but then you have these new technologies, autonomous, connected, shared, and electrified technologies that are also changing airports and airlines and everything in between. So, you know, what will airports look like in the future from ticketing to security to baggage claim? So, so many questions here. So to help us understand, to make... To make some sense of what is happening in the air and in our airports and the future of flight, we are joined by Devin Liddell, principal futurist, that's a cool title, at T. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Devin, yeah, yeah. Devin works with companies like Boeing, Intel, JW Marriott, Nike, Starbucks, and Toyota to help determine what the future of things like aviation, automotive, smart cities, personal mobility, and even space travel could look like. So Devin, how are you doing? Thank you for coming to the present for a second. Um, to to hang out with us before you go back into the future.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Trevor.
0: So, after 9-11, the the passenger experience, like we alluded to at at the airport, fundamentally changed. How can people expect their experience to be different in a a post-pandemic world? And I'm thinking like tech-driven, zero-touch check-in, security and boarding, biometrics, replacing driver's license, passports like smart tunnels to use biometrics to speed up immigration control. There's just so many different things. Talk to me about what it's gonna look like post pandemic.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and it's one that, you know, a lot of people are wrestling with. I think, you know, in broad brushstrokes, you've you've hit the nail on the head, in in broad brushstrokes, one of the things we can expect is that if post-9-11 was fundamentally about security and about how we transform the air travel experience uh, through security apparatus, for lack of a better phrase, then we should definitely expect that that post-COVID, it's going to be about health. It's going to be about health and wellness. And some of this was kind of underway even pre-pandemic, but we should definitely expect that that there's gonna be that shift or at least sort of like an additional kind of layering on of uh, you know once once focused on security you know next focused on both security and health and wellness the ways that that will happen of course um, are, are, are a bit undetermined at the moment but I think from a from a futurist standpoint what we can expect is they're going to probably fall into kind of two main categories. The the first set of transformations is really going to be about automation, um, and that's going to be about like how our airports actually kind of even even work from a from a health and wellness standpoint. To focus on on that in particular, what we can expect from an automation standpoint is exactly some of the things you mentioned. Um, a lot of a lot of touchless technologies uh, moving in, into it. I mean, so much so that I, I I sort of posit that we might actually move away from the, the term touch point, at least in design literature, um, simply because people don't want to touch things. So, you know, we'll 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 finally get rid of all of those uh, remaining push-pull doors. Um, all of our ingress and egress will be much more automated. I think even from a from potentially more of a tech whiz bang standpoint, automation does include things like robots and drones. And, and what I mean by that is that we should expect automated sanitization of airport spaces and even aircraft through those types of technologies. Non-human entities uh, working tirelessly to to clean our commercial aviation spaces. So automation will be a big part. The second one is really about surveillance and surveillance can get, that's a creepy word for a lot of people, there can be very uh, beneficial forms of surveillance but Surveillance really comes down to all of these cameras and sensors that we're, we're putting everywhere um, And those cameras and sensors are going to have a big role to play in commercial aviation because they're actually going to help us um, And it's related in some ways to, to automation They're going to help us move through these spaces in ways that are, are a lot more efficient than the way we move through them right now um, a, a good example of that in my opinion is if you look at them the, the present I wouldn't even call it the modern the, the present board boarding process for aircraft. It's a really, really broken process. Um, No one would say that they love the boarding process. I, I, you know, no no one, you never at at a barbecue or a party and someone says, Oh, well, my favorite part of travel is when <laughs> we go through the the myriad uh, uh, hierarchical uh, steps for the airport, for the airline to, to put me on board an aircraft from a from a surveillance standpoint, you know, down the road, artificial intelligence will play a big role in how we board aircraft. And that will only be possible through su- surveillance apparatus. So cameras and sensors everywhere. So those are the two big brushstrokes. Each one of them has like a really big upside and they also have a significant downside. So to kind of work backwards, like the big the big advantage of surveillance, of course, is is this notion that we may, might be able to create new ways of doing things um, that are enabled by the presence of so many cameras and sensors. And we essentially kind of turn, turn the, the air travel experience into kind of a, a network experience. Every passenger, every bag, every aircraft, everything as part of the air travel experience becomes kind of a node on the network and you, you manage it in the same way that we manage networks, um, the downside, of course, is that we know that we know people get more anxious the more they know they're being observed. So that is potentially a very anxiety-inducing environment. Um, and the the advantages of automation, of course, are no surprises there, like efficiency. But the big downside of a, of a highly automated environment is that we potentially could strip away all of the sort of human aspects of the air travel experience, and so. That's fine if you're if you're someone who can maneuver that experience and not need a lot of assistance But if you if you if you lose your dog and transit or your, your your pets rerouted inadvertently somewhere or you need some kind of special assistance That that kind of highly automated environment can be be really really tough because it's just so short on empathy It's just not a very human not a very warm experience So there's some significant kind of upsides and downsides. We're gonna have to wrestle with as we move forward on this
0: yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, lot, lot to tackle there, but there, you hit on one key point that I, I do want to go deeper on and that's passenger privacy. I mean, some of the things that are happening right now around, uh, more sanitization options are it's very reactive, right? Airlines and airports are reacting to the pandemic, but going forward to prevent the next pandemic, they need to begin to be proactive. So beginning to, you know, to think about how to detect and contain emerging health threats, uh you know by tracking crowd movements and you know have passenger contagion maps and all these different things that sound like they're out of a sci-fi thriller like how do we how do we tell that story to the passenger to make them still want to travel like how do we preserve privacy in a world where we're gonna have to give it up
1: well i mean it's a it's a juicy topic for sure right i mean i mean a couple places to start maybe is that there's essentially you know even from even from a terrestrial standpoint before i even talk about air travel even from like the way we move around our cities the there's there's essentially been kind of like the end of anonymous Travel has has been in the works for quite a while. I mean, you know the days of like walking on board a bus and dropping some change and and being on your way and and the system So to speak not knowing who you are those are those are largely over for in a lot of American cities and worldwide cities as well So this you know because you have to use contactless, you know payment uh, Cards to, to get on board a bus or a light rail, a subway, um, increasingly. So there's been this sort of shift away from anonymized travel in general. I, I was watching this documentary as a quick tangent, watching this documentary about the hijacker DB Cooper. And DB Cooper was able to do what he did because he walked up to a ticket counter and said, My name is DB Cooper. <laughs> and I'd like to buy a ticket uh, you know on board your, your aircraft that's of course a, extraordinarily an alien concept for anyone you know moving through air travel post 9/11 um, so the whole the whole era of anonymous travel is essentially over and you're right that that's that's a that's a key tension I mean what what are we willing to trade away though from a from a passenger standpoint it's not different from how we've reacted to the sort of similar tensions in other territories which is that we're willing to trade away privacy if we get something in return, and that's going to be the proposition uh, facing airline passengers is what type of privacy are you willing to sort of give up uh, in exchange for something that's of value to you. And if, if that means you can move through the, the boarding process, uh, you know, in a more official way, or if that means that you don't have to go through some of the more intrusive aspects of, of the, the present day TSA experience, a lot of passengers are very willing to do so, which Is evidence, by the way, uh, through the presence of even like programs like TSA Pre and Clear. Those programs are about you know the government sort of looking in on you and saying, hey, let's have let's have a deeper look at who you are, Um, and then in exchange we're going to let you move through this experience in in a more efficient way. So, I think just to 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 maybe ruminate a little bit on it because it's such a fantastic territory that you're bringing up. There's a lot of potentially kind of ugly abuse cases that could emerge. You know, like. When you really start to spiral it downward, you can get into scenarios where where maybe you have an airline. By the way, you have an airline that emerges. That's that's the airline specializes in just healthy people. I know that sounds sort of crazy, but you know you could add, you could end up with a scenario where like we are interested in uh, since this is a communal experience. You know that's a, a controversial subject as well. on onboard aircraft, I, I'd argue that aircraft are not communal experiences presently because passengers actually don't see each other as members of, of the same community. They see each other as competitors for shared resources. Um, but that said, you could Maybe you have a membership model that emerges for an airline that says, hey, we just travel, we just move around fit, healthy people who, who don't have colds, right? And if you're going to fly on that aircraft, then you need to prove that you are fit and healthy. Um, and that gets into some potentially you know, terrifying territory.
0: Yeah, thank you for freaking all of the listeners out, um, and then throwing it back to me, Try to figure out where to go next, but, um, <laughs> so, no, I mean, all right, so let's call that part of the conversation the vegetable part of the conversation, uh, may not always taste good, but it's healthy for us overall, now let's get into some of the fruits, um, some of the sweeter parts of the, the, the future of, of travel, let's talk about innovation. and and how airports will look and feel going forward. So like what technologies, what artificial intelligence will make passengers not want to board their flight, not want to leave their city to travel because they just prefer to hang out in the concourse? What cool things are coming to concourses?
1: I mean, to even to that's yeah, a great question, and and to like even like think about the word concourse. Um, to be totally honest, gives me a little bit of a pause. And the reason I say that is that is that when you think about how airports are even shaped right now, they will likely have to be shaped in different ways. We'll have to have whole new types of airports that we don't we don't presently have to move around the numbers of passengers that we're anticipating will be moving around in say like 2050. I mean, in 2019, so I'm picking a. Year Year that's that's pre-pandemic, so it's not it's not a f- flavored by by the by the effects of the, the pandemic in terms of air travel numbers. You know, we were moving around sort of roughly like four and a half um, billion passengers worldwide um, on aircraft. If you think about projections for what that looks like in 2050, which again can sound like far away territory, but from a product development cycle for aircraft, it's only actually one to two product development cycles away. So it's not actually not that far away. Um, the projections are like. We're going to be moving around somewhere between 12 and 16 billion passengers annually. To do that, we actually can't have, and, and every, anyone who's been through an airport you know, in the last couple years will recognize this truth. If we add that many more passengers to the system, we're not going to be able to do it the way that we're doing it right now. We're going to need totally different ways of moving people around. That's going to include, the reason I pause on concourse is that we might actually have, for example, like pop-up airports, you know, that's a strange term maybe and that's not what we'll call them of course but I'm talking about like, you know, very very small airports that maybe even operate in a sort of seasonal way, right, that they, they only operate, you know, be, uh, based on demand f- for tourism or only operate seasonally based on demand for business travel which is its own topic and we should talk about that too um, but that the shape of airports will need to change right now, if you th- just to bring it back to the present, right now airports are shaped like barbells and what I mean by that is you walk into a big area and then you are sucked through a choke point which is the security apparatus and then you and then you exit that choke point into another big area, so it's like a, a gym gym barbell. Um, that will have to change if we're going to move around those numbers of passengers that I mentioned. And one of the ways that 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 it will likely change is that the airport experience will become decentralized, uh, or at least a lot more decentralized than we presently think of it. And a good example of what that looks like from a from a passenger standpoint is that it's it's very 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 likely that in even the near term future, you know, ten years from now you will not go through security at the airport you will likely go through security in a decentralized way that that will likely be uh, an autonomous vehicle elsewhere in the city and that you will go through your security screening in a vehicle on route to the airport and that you might actually be delivered even sort of what you know what those in the field call sort of Air side. You know, you, you don't go through that choke point anymore because you already went through security. You went through security you know, as an individual or as a family in a in a controlled, connected vehicle. So it's a secure environment and TSA TSA or, or its ilk can put you through all of the, the necessary steps that, that they need to put you through in that vehicle on route to the airport. And then you're delivered directly to the air side. So you don't even, you, you may, uh, the reason I bring it up is like you may not ever even experience a concourse. You may, you know, the whole notion of shop Or eating at airports might actually just be sort of a relic for when we had built-in forced built-in time that we had to spend before we could board an aircraft, and that may not that may not be the case as we as we build out airports of the future.
0: I'd like to touch on the benefits of airport innovation as it relates to creating a cleaner and greener future. Do do you think we'll ever see a carbon-neutral airport?
1: Yeah, this is a this is a really really important subject um, Not only do I think we'll see a carbon neutral airport I'd actually change up the language even a bit and say carbon-free and 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 double down even more and say that by 2050 Carbon-free air travel will not be a oh wow. Look we achieved it. It will be an absolute requirement This will be an this will be an operational requirement. So by 2050 uh, airports and commercial air travel in general will will largely be carbon free. Um, and the way that's gonna happen, of course, is, is not just through <laughs> battery tech. I mean, battery tech will be an important part of that, but we're, we're gonna have all new types of aircraft um, that use things like hydrogen propulsion systems. Um, we'll have all new aircraft that use electric, and those will be uh, certainly near-term, they will be much smaller uh, air, uh, aircraft. Um, we're also gonna have airports themselves that operate, and going back to what I was saying about automation, airports themselves that, that operate uh, through a lot of autonomy um, a lot of uh, autonomy technologies. Um, so these are things like right now, a good, a good example I tell people is that, you know, there's actually quite a bit of uh, carbon burn for aircraft right now, just in terms of as they taxi to and from the gates. So when we think about electrified Aircraft tugs, for example, that could actually move aircraft to the runways um, without having those aircraft have to burn uh, carbon, have to you know run their engines to taxi. Um, things like that will 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 go a long ways in in helping these airports uh, operate in carbon free ways. But but air travel is going to have to be carbon free by 2050, and and it will be carbon free. I mean, when you look at what Boeing and Airbus to talk just talk about the airframe manufacturers for a second, what they're doing, both have put forward. <clears throat> Pretty, uh, pretty clear visions for how that will happen. Uh, Airbus is making a big bet on hydrogen. Um, Boeing has, in my opinion, even an even more thoughtful and detailed approach to how to do that from a from a holistic level, which includes airport operations. Um, and Boeing's vision is that there will be both sustainable. Uh, aviation fuels that are that are powering large aircraft but that that but the portfolio of air of future aircraft also includes things like I mentioned like small electric uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles is what they're what they're called uh, technically you know these are what, what we're yeah. calling flying cars now flying cars be a, yeah. Yeah, exactly we'll call we'll call them something else probably um, other than flying cars but and then, and then actually you know that there'll be smaller or a, a medium-range aircraft that that it might use hydrogen or use some other propulsion system Um, but that that the notion of carbon free is going to be an operational requirement you can see the workings of this already emerging and a a good indicator of the requirement for carbon free commercial air travel by 2050 is that it's things like in France right now it is it is right right now today illegal to operate a short haul air travel flight that could be accomplished in under two and a half hours by a train. So we're already shifting towards uh, a a more sort of uh, virulent uh, regulatory environment that takes a a sort of more aggressive stance on how we're using carbon. Um, So if if commercial aviation is going to have this future that we move around 16 billion people in 2050, it's going to have to be carbon free. And it will be carbon free.
0: What will the plane look like? Will we all still be scrunched together? in rows like this is one aspect that hasn't really changed over the decades if you look back you know to 1951 1961 1971 and now 2021 what what will the inside of a plane look like
1: it's a great question, and of course, you know, at Teague we do a lot of work with uh, in, in aircraft interior, so it's something we're pretty steeped in. I mean, this might this might sound like bad news for anyone who was hoping otherwise, but the truth of the matter is that you know, density is important and will likely remain important, and, and of course, density is just a fa- fancy term by saying that yes, we will likely have to be fairly crowded into these into these things. Um, it doesn't mean that they, they'll have to be as crowded as they are right now, and and certainly, you know, one of the kind of impossible tensions that that air aircraft, modern aircraft have had to sort of maneuver as this tension between between operator profitability, you know, the airline's ability to make money and passenger comfort, you know, and 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 oftentimes airlines, to be very blunt about it, um, have erred on the side of, no, we'd, we'd rather cram more people on board and and make a, a few more dollars than to have people be comfortable. Um, when you start to um, maybe sort of undo some of the conventions of, of, of present day air travel, uh, including uh, the importance of of Jet fuel is to be really clear about it um, Some of those trade-offs might actually change, right? I mean if we're moving around in a way that's more sustainable um, It may also be more affordable. That's also a possibility um, And if it's more affordable from from an operator standpoint, then some of those trade-offs may not may not need to be required And, and, that, and in that and in that scenario, um, you know, there might be a lot more comfortable aircraft So that's definitely a thing. I th- the only other thing I think I'd add to it is that that when we think about how we're going to move around via the air, uh, we shouldn't assume that we will be moving around through the same aircraft, as I mentioned earlier, that we have right now. And so it may not be that um, that density is applied to a you know a seven three seven that holds one hundred and eighty eight people in its configuration that the density might be you and five other people in that small electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle and so that's a different proposition that's a different proposition from a from a comfort standpoint even if from a physical standpoint you actually still have the same amount of passenger space.
0: So here are my lightning round questions: What is the most futuristic? And I just want the city. Uh, the most futuristic airport
1: in the U.S. right now? Oh, uh, most futuristic city, uh, most futuristic airport in the U.S. right now is uh, likely uh, Atlanta. For sure, uh, Atlanta has uh, the, one of the, the international terminals that Delta operates um, at Hartsfield in Atlanta is entirely already. This is not this is not future. This is happening right now um, entirely biometrically uh, enabled. So you actually have to, from a passenger standpoint, you actually have to opt out of the biometrics um, and to maneuver that terminal in a in an analog way, if you will. So um, yeah, Atlanta is uh, is very futuristic right now. Right. Most
0: okay, so most future futuristic airport in the world.
1: Uh, I would give high marks to Dubai. Dubai um, is, uh, is has, has a fantastic airport. Um, one of the things I love about uh, Dubai is they actually have a lot of biometric tunnels that were already in the works pre-pandemic. Um, from a from a just sort of a personal narrative standpoint, like one of the things that's interesting about these these tunnels is that they are organized around aquariums, and uh, inside these uh, these aquariums, the, the tunnels you know have real fish in them. Um, They also have digital fish in them. And the reason that they have digital fish is those digital fish show up uh, in your line of sight and in your peripheral sight. Very very strategically and dynamically to get you to look at them and the reason that they show up in the way to get you to look at them is so that the camera can take a photo of your face and and Stitch together all the other photos that's taken of your face to make sure that you are who you say you are um, so you move through this tunnel and you are going through security as a Basically as an aquarium experience And and the reason I love mentioning that is that this is something we should expect moving forward is that our present understanding of how we move through security apparatus, how we move through health and health and wellness screening um, will be transformed uh, into far more sort of enjoyable uh, metaphors, if you will, and and that could be going through an aquarium. Um, other airports are tinkering with the idea of like the the North Star for for them is like you're going to be walking through a garden. So you're walking through a garden and uh, enjoying everything that a garden offers you as a person, and in doing so, you're going through all of the necessary checks that the airport needs to put you through
0: finally best airport experience you've ever had
1: i particularly love uh incheon in seoul and one of the reasons i like incheon in seoul is that it is so busy it's it's an extraordinarily busy air, airport and you'd never know it um, it moves through a ton of people and at the same time it feels like this sort of contemplative space it's incredible I mean it's just extraordinary uh, in terms of like how relaxed it feels I'd, I'd say the same thing by the way about uh, about uh, Munich Munich's airport has the same thing I mean Inchon moved uh, 72 people 72 million people through in, in 2019 and you'd never get that sense uh, sitting there and enjoying a, a cup of coffee or enjoying a, a pastry it just feels so Calm, and the same is true for Munich. I mean, it's just extraordinarily calm uh, in its physical presence, Um, which is one of the things I think, you know, going back to our our earlier parts of the conversation. Air, you know, air travel at its best creates these sort of moments of contemplation and wonder, where you're sort of excited about being connected to the people and places and things that matter to you. Um, and all of the sort of uglier parts of air travel are, are significant detractions from that. And and that's that's a that's a big bummer, right? I mean, it's a it's a huge bummer that people actually feel so much anxiety around something as straightforward as like, will there be bin space for my bag, right? I mean, <laughs> the anxiety around will there be space in the overhead bin for my bag unfortunately dominates the the emotional landscape for most people as they move through the air travel experience when it should be wow I am actually being connected to a place that's very far away through an extraordinary technology Um, that's what it should be so both those airports uh, do a good job of returning the passenger to that more contemplative space in my opinion
0: I personally am a fan of the Detroit Airport
1: DTW baby one of the things I love about DTW, by the way, is uh, it does have a futuristic uh, visual presence in my opinion. So when you see the trams operating overhead, that's actually, I give high marks for that. Um, it's uh, It feels like actually it does live a bit in the future uh, in its sort of intermodal or multimodal uh, approach compared to like, you know, I, I grew up in Denver. I live in Seattle now, but I grew up in Denver and I do love Denver International Airport, but uh, it does have a, a traditional system where you move to the tram and the and the train is sort of invisible to you. Um, I'd love love that in, in DTW, the train is visible to you as a passenger abo- above you.
0: Thank you, Devin. How can our listeners find you online to keep the conversation going?
1: Perfect. Yeah. Uh, best way is to check out Teague's website. So that's teague.com. So teague.com. Um, and of course, I'm also on Twitter for those of you who use Twitter at, at, at Devin Liddell. Um, and then of course, uh, you can also find Teague's own social channels as well, um, both on Twitter and Instagram and elsewhere.
0: Mr. Devin Liddell, ladies and gentlemen, that was awesome. Okay, listeners, don't forget to subscribe and have the future of podcasts uh, right there on your phone, on your computer, downloaded each month through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on how the state of Michigan is shaping the future, visit michiganbusiness.org mobilityMI. All right, that is it. Thank you, everybody, and I will see you in the future.